Hebrews chapter 4. Wouldn't it be nice to have clout? Wouldn't it be nice to be in the inn so that you could make things happen? So that you could make a, a phone call down to <clears throat> Enda Kenny and, and, and have him do something for you and set something up and maybe make it right for more than just you, but to have clout. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? The reality is that we actually do have clout, <clears throat> but we don't reckon on it. And we don't reckon on it in, th- in those terms very often. But we actually have somebody that we can bring our problems to that can actually change things for us and, and do it uh, and has unlimited power to do it. But we need to reckon on it and understand it. Now, Hebrews chapter 4, the wonderful passage. Uh, <clears throat> uh, all of it's wonderful. We're going to look tonight, though, <clears throat> at verses 15 and 16. Hebrews 4, verse 15 and 16. For we have not an high priest, which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Father, would you bless us as we look to your word and help us, Lord, uh, to reckon on the truth and the power and the reality of what we have here in Jesus' precious name. Amen. All right. We have a wonderful passage, but it's teaching us to come to him. But it starts off by telling us that we have, uh, and I love the way it puts it here, we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are. Sorry, let me read from verse 14. Seeing, seeing then we have a great high priest. He calls him a great high priest. He's not just an ordinary high priest. The high priest uh, went for the nation, uh, really made atonement for the sins of the nation, and he was the one man that, did, that interceded for them as far as God was concerned. But we haven't just got a high priest. We have a great high priest. We have one that knows exactly what it takes and that is able to do it. Uh, <clears throat> Uh, Jesus has appeased God's wrath for us. He is our sacrifice, and he is our high priest, and he's none other than the omnipotent God. There is no more powerful being that you could be invited to bring something to than to bring it before the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our high priest, and he has the power to change. He has the power to deal in, in situations. He has the power to help. He has the power to work things out. He has all of it in his hands. He can do it. And he's inviting you to come to him for help. Now, <clears throat> the thing is that we need help, don't we? We need help often. Again, God has created the world in such a way that we need him. Now, we may travel for a time pretending that we don't, but the reality is we need help, and we need it regularly. The world is made like that. You know, you can try and run your car without putting petrol in it, and... Uh, it might run for a while until the petrol in the tank is used up, and then it stops. It's done. It's finished. Because cars need petrol. You need God. You need help from God, and you need it regularly. And he says, come to him for help. Now, he tells us here also that, <clears throat> look, look at the verse, and we'll, we'll just uh, pull it around a bit. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Right now, that's kind of awkward and clumsy, and that's because the King James translates it word for word. But, but, but let's, let's, just, let's just switch it around. Instead of saying, we have not a high priest that cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, let's put it this way. We have a high priest who can be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. God knows how you feel. God knows how it feels to live your life 
in 2013. God knows your problems, your difficulties, your issues. Jesus knows. He understands. He knows what it means to feel like you. He has been in all points tempted, like as you are, yet without sin. The only difference between him and you is he didn't sin. But there is another difference. The temptation the Lord Jesus Christ endured when he was on this earth was the full force of temptation. First of all, it was from Satan himself. So that when you feel tempted, it's very easy for us to sugar, to throw it off and say, well, how would he understand he's God? How would Jesus understand what I'm going through? I'm just living this life in this world here, uh, and he's God. He never sinned. He never, he never got it wrong. And it would be easy for us to come to the place where, where we don't think he understands how it feels. But do you know that Jesus understands how you feel tonight? Now, you might not be able to tell anybody else about it. He understands how it feels. He understands physical pain. He understands emotional pain. And I love it. It says he understands the feeling of it. He understands when you feel like running away because you can't bear the pressure. He understands how that feels. Now, it matters to have somebody that understands how it feels. It really, it, it's, it's got an added power. You see, I can come to the guys in the men's home, and I can say to the guys in the men's home when they're going through detox, look, guys, it's all in your head. And you know what they're going to say? They're going to say, yeah, that's easy for you to say. How would you know? You've never been through it. Leighton can go in and say to them, it's all in your head, right? And he does regularly, doesn't he, guys? It's all in your head. And you're going to say, it's all in your head, and it's totally different because he's been where you're at. He understands how it feels to be where you're at, and it's got more clout. And it's easy to shrug the one off, but it's not so easy to shrug the other off. The Lord Jesus Christ comes to you, and he says, I know how you feel. I know what's going on inside you. I understand what's going on inside you. <clears throat> he understands. And when it comes to temptation, C.S. Lewis wrote this. Let me, let me read you what C.S. Lewis wrote about temptation. By the way, anything you can read by C.S. Lewis is going to be helpful to you. Uh, he is not in the least uh, easy reading. He's a deep thinker. And what he says to you is going to be um, <clears throat> helpful. But it's going to make you think. He says this. Uh, about Jesus' temptation. He says, A silly idea is current that people do not know what temp- uh, that good people do not know what temptation means. This is an obvious lie. Only those who try to resist temptation know how strong it is. After all, you find out the strength of the German army by fighting it, not by giving in. You find out the strength of a wind by trying to walk against it, not by lying down. A man who gives in to temptation after five minutes simply does not know what it would have been like an hour later. That is why bad people, in one sense, know very little about badness. They have lived sheltered lives by always giving in. Christ, because he was the only man who never yielded to temptation, is also the only man who knows to the full what temptation means. He knows what it feels like, and he knows it all the way. He knows what it feels like to stand against it, and he knows it all the way. So when when we come to Jesus, we have someone that actually knows what it feels like to be you and to go through what you're going through. With this difference, he never gave in. So he knows it more, but he's able to help you not to give in either. He's able to help you in the hour of temptation, in the hour of trial, not to give in, not to do that which God doesn't want you to do, not to do that which is ultimately bad for you. He's able to help you with it because he knows how it feels. 
He understands how it feels to be you. <clears throat> Secondly, though, and here's where we need to go with this tonight, he invites you to come to him. Now, that's really tremendous. God invites me to come to him. He invites me to come boldly. We'll look at that in a second. But he invites me to come to him with my need, with my burden, in my moment of trial, in my moment of temptation. He invites me to actually come to him, to come and talk to him about it, to come and get strength from him, to come and get mercy, get grace from him in that time of need. He invites me to come. Now, one of the lies the enemy likes to spin is that you're not worthy to come to him. And that's true. You're not worthy to come to him. But if you'll notice in the text, he doesn't tell you to clean up your act before you can come to him. He doesn't tell you to get yourself sorted out. Because the truth is, if he were waiting for us to clean up our act and get ourselves sorted out before we came to him, he'd be waiting a long time. See, when you came to him in salvation, you came to him in the muck and the filth of your sin. You didn't clean yourself up. You didn't sort yourself out. You didn't get right and get straightened out and get worthy and then come to it. No, you just came in the muck and the filth of your sin. And here's the problem for us, that when we're living in this sin-cursed world and we're getting, <clears throat> uh, getting involved in things that we shouldn't be, it's easy for us to come to the place where we say, well, I'm not worthy. And we're looking to make ourselves worthy before we come to him. We need to come to him. We need to come to him. We'll never be worthy to come to him. Let me read you something else. Ron Dunn <clears throat> wrote a book, Don't Just Stand There, Pray Something. And um, <clears throat> he said this. He said, but what he learned one very bad day. He said, when he got up, he didn't spend time praying. As the day wore on, he was curlish in the way he treated people. When the day finally ended, he knelt to pray, and he began by saying, Lord, I've made a mess of my life today, and I confess I'm not worthy to come into your presence. Did you ever feel like that? I made a mess of my life and I'm not worthy to come, and I'm not worthy to come into your presence. At that point, he felt the Lord interrupt his prayer. Ron, do you think having a quiet time this morning would have made you worthy to talk to me? Do you think doing good and treating people right would have somehow made you qualified to come into my presence? If that's what you think, you don't know yourself, you don't know me, and you don't understand the grace of God. Now, that's kind of strange. Is it right for us to have a quiet time? Of course it is. We need, we need to spend time with him. Is it right for us to treat people right? Well, of course it is. But you know, we don't earn merit with God by doing those things. We don't earn favor in the sense that we get on the in crowd by doing those things. We're in. We're accepted in the beloved. He loves us because of who he is, not because of who we are. Now, let me set your mind at ease here. Listen, you need to have your quiet time. You need to have your quiet time. You need to connect with him every day. You need that. You need to treat people right. And they want you to treat them right. But don't think that it's going to make you more worthy with God. Because the truth is, he's invited you to come as you are. He's invited you to come with all your problems, difficulties, and issues. You see, here's what we have. We have a relationship with God that's based totally on mercy. But we very quickly get away from mercy. We very quickly look at what we do. Now, we call that meritorious thinking. Right? Meritorious means I merit favor. I merit him looking good. We, we very quickly get there you know, that we've done things that merit, that he's got to do for us because we've done for him. 
That's, that's meritorious thinking. And it skews the picture. Right? Because here's, here's the picture. The picture is that God loves us because of him. Because of mercy. And everything good that comes into our lives from God comes into our lives because of mercy. Because of goodness. Not because of what we deserve. It's never what we deserve. It's always mercy. It's always his goodness. And if we skew that in our heads so that we think, you know, well, listen, we have to earn mercy, then it's not mercy anymore. If we, in our minds, come to the place where we're we're earning favor with him, where we're doing good to earn favor with him, it's no longer mercy. Now, and the problem with that is that that puts us in the place where we're not looking to him for mercy. We're looking to him for what we deserve. This guy's coming to God and he's saying, listen, I don't deserve coming into your presence today because I've been bad. And God is saying, you never deserve to come into my presence. But I invite you in based upon mercy. That's different. So do we understand that, listen, it's, it's a, a different take on things. And what it does in our lives is it actually turns the relationship around. Because the relationship is based on mercy. I'm never going to be good enough to come to God and demand anything. We all know the verse, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works. Why? Lest any man should boast. Nobody's going to stand before God and boast of what they did. Well, I did this, and I did that, and I did the other. Absolutely nobody's going to do that. It's all based on mercy. Salvation and everything else we get is based upon mercy. It's not that we get saved by mercy and then we travel on and we earn. We don't. What happens is it's all mercy. You know, the older I get, the more I look back over my life and look, it's all mercy. It's all mercy. Every, every blessing in my life is mercy. I can't look back at one single thing and say, you know, listen, I earned that. If I got what I earned, it wouldn't be what I have. It will be something entirely different. It's mercy. And we need to understand that it's a critical issue to us as far as our relationship with God. Remember the story of the Pharisee and the publican? Yeah, the Pharisee comes, and the Pharisee is a righteous man in his own mind, in his own, uh, according to his own rules and his own regulations, right? And he comes to God, and he says, oh, God, I'm, I'm thankful that I'm not like this other guy. Now, listen, we're not like the other guy, are we? We're not publicans and sinners that are out there doing bad things. It's much easier for us to be like the Pharisee than it is for us to be like the publican. Right? <clears throat> but the Pharisee is not heard. And the publican is heard. Now, if you were to meet them on the street and you were to say, well, which, which, is, which is the better man, the Pharisee or the publican, which would you say? Yeah, the Pharisee is obviously the better man. He lives according to a high set of rules. He, listen, he lives right and does right. So why was it that the publican went out justified rather than the Pharisee. Because the publican came to him, uh, God on the basis of mercy. The Pharisee came to him on the basis of what he deserved. Now, listen, God working in your life ought to change your life, ought to lift you up, ought to, ought to make you better. Right? <clears throat> but understand this. That's not the basis of your relationship with God. The basis of your relationship with God is mercy. It's always mercy. And we need to keep that in mind, that it's mercy. So when Jesus tells us to come to him, 
in our hour of need. It's come to me on the basis of mercy. It's not clean yourself up and sort yourself out and get yourself straightened out and then come. It's come to me on the basis of mercy. You have nothing to offer. And you never will. But you know what? There's mercy available. There's an invitation there for you to come. So that means you, you may be a failure tonight. You may have blown up. <clears throat> you may have ruined yourself as far as you're concerned. You may, you may be in the place, you know, where you listen. You think, listen, I, I didn't need to give up this thing and walk away. By the way, I guarantee you, if you get to that place, you get to that place because you stop operating on the basis of mercy. At some level, you stop operating on the basis of mercy. You stop looking for mercy, and you start looking for what you deserve. You, start, you, you stop understanding how desperately needy you are, and you start looking at the situation and thinking, well, you know, I'm not doing so bad here. And all of a sudden, you fall on your face, don't you? That's what happens again and again in people's lives. No, it's mercy we need. It's always mercy. It's his goodness and his mercy uh, that blesses us. His compassions, they fail not, for they are new every morning. It's, it's mercy we need from the Lord. So whenever you feel that, 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 that rising pride in yourself and you're looking at yourself and thinking you're doing so well, understand you need mercy. That's a dangerous place to be because what does God have to do to us when we get to the place where we're no longer looking for mercy but we're looking for you know, what we've earned? He has to remind us. How does he remind us? He lets us see what we really are inside. That's how he reminds us. And we fall on our face. Listen, it's, it's, it's mercy. It's always mercy. You come to your devotions in the morning time and it's mercy. God loves me. It's, it's, it's mercy. You can, you can come and you can ask him things, but it's based on mercy. You, you're in a relationship that's all based upon mercy, upon his goodness, his love reaching out to you. So that means, you know, as long as you're willing to turn to him, you can never go too far from him. No matter how far you've gone, you can turn back because it's based upon mercy. And, and look what he says. <clears throat> Let us therefore come boldly. I would have put in there, if I was writing it, I would have put in there, let us come delicately. Or let us come sheepishly. Or let us come repentantly. Or let us come with ashes on our head. But no, he doesn't say that. He says come boldly. Now, there's absolutely no reason why God would accept you boldly entering into the throne room. Remember, he's giving you the picture of a king here. And, you know, in the olden days, a king was the ultimate power, and you didn't just treat him lightly. You didn't walk in uh, to the king's presence. Remember, Esther was going into Hashuerus? She, she could not walk in. Uh, when, when Mordecai told her, listen, you need to go in and see him, uh, she said, listen, I haven't been invited in. And what was she saying? He might kill me. That's kind of a hard marriage relationship, isn't it? You know, if you, if, if you walk into his, in, into his room when he's, when he's doing something, he might kill you. But that, that's the, the way the relationship was. Right? So, and that's the way the relationship was with the king. So you didn't just march in. You waited till you were invited in. But God doesn't say that to you. The Lord Jesus Christ doesn't say that. He says, come boldly. Come boldly into my presence. What he's doing is, he's, <clears throat> he's giving you a free admittance card. He's giving you a card that admits you anywhere. Wouldn't it be a nice 
nice for you to have, for those of you that are interested in football, for you to have uh, a card that, uh, that admitted you to any football game in any of the Premier League in England any time you could get there. Wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't that just be a nice thing? Yeah, I mean, you, you, you'd end up using that kind of a card. Right? <clears throat> I know those of you can think of different things, that you, 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 cards that you might have. But what you've been given is, you've been being given an admission card for the throne room of grace anytime you want to use it. Come boldly before the throne of grace. That is the ultimate clout a human being can have in this world. Because it doesn't matter what human authority you go to, their power is limited. It doesn't matter. Listen, you can go to Enda Kenny. Enda Kenny, you could ask Enda Kenny for something, and Enda Kenny would have to look at you at a certain point and say, I can't do that for you. That's impossible. I don't have that kind of power. You could go anywhere you like to any authority, and there are certain things they just can't do for you. They don't have that kind of authority. But we have a great high priest. We have one who has ultimate power, can do anything that you need, absolutely anything. And he says to you, I want you to come boldly before me. Come boldly into the throne of grace. Now, do you think we ought to do that? Do you think we ought to maybe do that more often than we do sometimes? Listen, I think you should have your devotions in the morning. I think it's a great way to start the day. I mean, <clears throat> I've never seen a Christian succeed without having devotions every day. I've never seen it. You know, typically what they do is they draw. It's not that God decides he hates them. Uh, and crushes them. But what happens is, as soon as they stop having devotions, or when they stop having devotions and stop walking with him, they draw away from him. It's just natural. I think you should have devotions every morning. But you know what? I think throughout the day, you should come boldly before the throne of grace. I think you should hold up your admittance card. And you should come in before him, Lord, I need. And you should bring the feeling of your infirmities. Listen, sometimes you'd be ashamed to bring your feelings to anybody. You'd be ashamed to let them see how you were really feeling. You know, you're working, you're keeping up the brave face. You want everybody to think you've got it together because it's important that you've got it together and working. You need everybody to know you've got it together. But you know what? You can keep it together on the outside and you can go boldly before the throne of grace and you can say, Lord, I need help. Lord, I need mercy. I need help in this thing. You've got, you got a free admittance card. You can go in before him any time you choose. Free admittance card for any time you choose. You can, listen, you can go in every hour. You can go in every half hour if you like. You could spend the day in there. You, you, you've got an admittance card that invites you to come boldly before the throne of grace. You don't have to hang your head. You have to go in. And, and he says, <clears throat> to obtain mercy and grace. How many of you remember being called into the principal's office when you were a kid? Okay. <laughs> Some remember being called into my office, right? Um, you remember being called into, into the principal's office? That was always a good thing, wasn't it? You were called into the principal's office, and you know, he would sit you down, and he would make you a cup of tea. And it was, no, it wasn't like that. Was it? Although my brother, my brother, was, my brother, there's a mad one in every family. My, my brother Liam was the mad one in our family. And Liam was in the principal's office so often when he was young that he told my mother one day, he said, you know, that man must be very lonely. He's always inviting me in for a chat. <laughs> but, the, you know, when you're invited to the principal's office, listen, it's terror. Anything can happen. This guy's got power. He can do the business. And listen, you can be really scared when you get invited to the principal's office. 
getting invited into the throne room of grace. Listen, to come in before God, that could be trouble. But it's not. It's to obtain mercy and grace. It's to come in before him and it's to obtain mercy and grace. It's to obtain help. He invites you into his room for help. Now, understand, this is the kind of help it's going to be, right? I understand where you're at. It's not, what do you mean you did this? You're in such and such a state. How did you get there? That's ridiculous. After all I've done for you, you mean you're still in that place? No, it's not like that. It's you're coming into somebody who understands to obtain mercy and to obtain help. Now, the enemy will sit on your shoulder and say, listen, don't go in. The state of you, you are in trouble if you go in there. But he says, no, come in. Come in to obtain mercy and grace. I'll help you. I understand how it feels. I'll help you. I'll, I'll undertake for you. I'll, I'll work for you in the situation. There is trial. There is help for every trial, for every temptation, for every feeling of infirmity. There's help for all of us. Listen, if we look at this room, we have people of wildly differing backgrounds. You know, wildly different lives, wildly different ways of looking at life, wildly different uh, attitudes to life. We, we have all kinds of different problems and different, different difficulties. But you know what? We have somebody who understands them all. We have somebody who understands and understands what you need in every situation. And so you come into him, and you come into him with your problem, exposing yourself for what you really are, and you come into him knowing he will understand you, and you come into him knowing he will give you mercy and grace. See, you went into the principal's office to get in trouble. But you go into his office, you go into the throne room to get help. That's the invitation. The invitation is not to come into the throne room to be judged. The invitation is not to come into the throne room, you know, to get your just desserts. The invitation is to come into the throne room for mercy and help. That's what he's going to do in your life. He's going to give you mercy and help. Now, see what else it says, the last part of, of our verse here. Therefore, come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help when? In time of need. That's a key one for us. You know, in the time of need, we're apt to go to the wrong place for help. We're apt to go and knock on somebody else's door, aren't we? Sometimes we'll go to somebody and demand their help. I've got a need. I've got a problem. I've got an issue. I've got a difficulty. You need to fix it for me. But God says, no, come to me. I am the fixer. I will fix it. See, there's only one Savior. There's only one Deliverer. It's God. And Jesus says, come to me in your time of need. Come to me because I will help you in it. And I will help you in the time of need. And he does. And he's there. We have to develop the habit, though, of taking seriously what's happening here and what's happening in our day-to-day lives and bringing it before him regularly. All day if you need to. Coming boldly before the throne of grace. Because you need help. Listen, you're born in a world where you're bound to need help. 
You're born in a world where you're bound to need mercy. Lord, I need mercy. God never, never, never gets tired. He never wears out. He never gets fed up listening to us. He says, come and keep coming. And I will give you help in time of need. I will take care of you. Now let me flip back and we're going to look at an Old Testament illustration of this. Psalm 142. David is on the run from Saul. Saul is ready to kill him. He's at the end of himself. Because he's an outlaw, everybody's afraid of him. He's in that place where people kind of turn away from him when they see him because nobody wants to be seen with David. I mean, the priests at Nob have been murdered uh, because they gave David bread. And so everybody's afraid of him. Nobody, nobody wants to know David. Nobody wants to be around him. And David's in a bad way. David's in a place where you, you can sense from what he's writing to you here, listen, he's, he, he's at the end of himself. He doesn't, ha- doesn't have anything else to give. He doesn't have anything else to hold up with. And remember, he's got upward of 400 men and their families depending upon him to feed them and take care of them. He's under pressure. He's on the run. Paul is seeking his life. Nobody wants to help. Nobody wants to be around him. And he's just under pressure. And let's, let's see what he's going to do with it. I cried unto the Lord with my voice. With my voice unto the Lord did I make my supplication. I poured out my complaint before him. I showed before him all my trouble. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then thou knewest my path. And the way wherein I walked, have they privily laid a snare for me. Let me just catch this thought. He poured out his complaint before him. You know what he did? He was at the end of himself. He had nowhere else to turn, so he went to the throne room. He went boldly into the throne room, and he poured out his complaint before the Lord. He told God all of it. He went to somebody who could help him. By the way, he wasn't just getting it off his chest. You know, when you talk to God about it, listen, there is an element of talking about it helps. But you're not just getting it off your chest. You're casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. You're taking it off your shoulders and putting it on his shoulders because he can do something about it. He can take care of the issues and take care of the difficulties. And that's what David is doing. David is, listen, he has given it all to God. He is pouring out his complaint before. By the way, I don't think we do enough pouring out our complaint before the Lord. I don't think we do. I think we kind of suck it up sometimes. We, 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 we toughen up and we don't actually pour it out. Listen, pour it out before the Lord. Let him know what's going on inside. Let him know the burdens. Let him know the pain. Let him know how foolish you feel. Let him know the feeling of your infirmities. He knows it already anyway. But pour it out before him. Verse 4, I looked on my right hand and beheld, but there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me. No man cared for my soul. You ever feel like that? Nobody cares. I think we all end up feeling like that sometimes. I think, again, it's built into the whole situation. Now, it's probably never true, but I think we often end up feeling that way. Nobody cares. Nobody really cares. 
And you know, when you're in the place where you feel that nobody really cares, that's the place and the time to turn to the one that you know cares. That's the time when you need to cry out to him. When you need to bring your complaint before him. When you need to talk to him about it. I cried unto thee, O Lord. I said, thou art my refuge and my portion in the land of the living. Now, that's wonderful. God is our refuge. What's a refuge? It's a place of safety. It's a place you flee to when the enemy's on your tail and you're in danger. He is your refuge. It doesn't say he provides me a refuge. It says he is my refuge. I flee to him. He is our high tower. You climbed up into the high tower and you were safe. We flee to him. He is our refuge. And he is our portion in the land of the living. He is what we need in the land of the living. I love the Old Testament priest, the Levites. Well, when they divided up the land, uh, everybody got their portion. All the tribes got their portion. And God said, no, they're not getting any portion. Don't divide them up the land. Then They're not getting a portion because I am their portion. They were his priests. He was going to take care of them. I am their portion. I will take care of them. And you think about it, right? You, 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 could have, you, you could have a piece of land and um, you could grow your crops on it or you could have God as your portion. Which would be better? You know what? We love the weather right now. It's wonderful. 15, 16 days is it, since it rained. You know, everybody's happy, everybody's excited, but you know what's happening now? We're going into drought. If you notice your grass, it's beginning to die in patches. You're not watering stuff now, it's beginning to hurt. We had some hydrangeas, and I noticed them this morning. Man, they're shriveling up. Oh, they look big and bold enough to survive it, but they're shriveling up. Right? <clears throat> you know, we're going into... You know, listen, you could have your piece of land. You could do all the planting you liked. You could work it all the way. But you know what? You couldn't control the rain. You know, if you had God for your portion, you were safe. That's kind of like a state pension. <clears throat> the only thing about a state pension is it can fail too, and they may fail. But having God as your portion means you're okay. You're safe. <clears throat> By the way, we are a holy generation, a royal priesthood. That offer is open to you. He is your portion. He is your portion. He is the one that will take care of you. You have it made. David looks at the situation around him. Humanly speaking, it's a disaster. Humanly speaking, there's no hope. Humanly speaking, he's at the end. He might as well top himself because why go on? But no, you're my refuge and you're my portion. And what David is doing is David's poured out his complaint. And he's talking to God and he's saying, no, you are my refuge. You are my portion. And he's beginning to turn it around in his mind here because he's relying on God in it. It's not just a godless moan that he comes to God with. He comes to God with a look, there's this and there's that and there's him and there's Saul and there's all these problems. And Lord, I can't handle them. But you are my portion. You're my refuge. You're the one that takes care of me. Attend unto my cry, 
for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are stronger than I. Bring my soul out of prison, that I may praise thy name. The righteous, and now he's prophesying. Now he's saying what's going to happen. And by the way, do you know what? You can actually say what's going to happen. You may not be able to give the detail of it, but you can say what's going to happen. Do you know that? The Bible says that God is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. That's a promise. If you diligently seek him, you can say, he will reward me. Because that's a promise. That's not meritorious thinking. That's, that's a promise. That's something, listen, if I, if, I, if I diligently seek him, he will reward me. You can go to Matthew 6, 33, and you can, uh, Jesus said there, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. You can say, well, Lord, in the best of my ability, I'm putting you first. And I know the financial climate is looking pretty bad. And I know things are not looking great, but Lord, you've promised me that you would take care of me. And I'm sleeping on the fact that you promised you'd take care of me. And he will take care of you. Because he promised that he would. That's Listen, you can, you can predict the future if you obey the side of the promise that belongs to you. You can know God will do it. God will always do it. You can worry and fret and fuss about it if you like. But listen, all you've got to do is fulfill your side of the promise and say, Now, Lord, this is what you told me to do. This is what I've done. And I'm not perfect. You never get to the place where you're perfect. But, Lord, this is what I've done. And you said you would do this. Now, Lord, I'm depending upon you to keep your word. Not because I deserve it, but because of you and it's your word. And you can depend upon him. You can expect him. To, you, you can predict the future. Uh, <clears throat> And David is predicting the future. He's saying, the righteous shall compass me about, for thou shalt deal bountifully with me. Let me ask you, did the righteous compass him about? They did. Did God deal bountifully with David? He did. This was a low point. But you know what? The low point brought him to the place where he came boldly before the throne of grace, and he obtained help. He obtained mercy. God helped him. Now look... I'm not talking about you doing this just in the crisis of your life. I'm sure you need to do it in the crisis of your life. I'm talking about God giving you an open invitation to come boldly before the throne of grace. To pour out your complaint before him. To tell him your need. To cast your care upon him for he careth for you. To to, to regularly come with your needs. You say, I'm not a beggar. You don't know yourself. We're all beggars when it comes to God. We're all needy people. Every last one of us. Get over your pride. Come boldly before the throne of grace. Don't come to the throne of grace, you know, with all that you deserve. Because he's dealing with you on the basis of mercy. Come to the throne of grace and pour out your complaint. Tell him your problems. Say, Lord, help. Lord, help. I need help. And listen, he will help. Now, I have to add this in. He's not going to help in exactly the way you want him to help. He doesn't come to the place where he actually does exactly what you want him to do. He usually has a different way of doing it. But he will help. He will meet the need of your heart. He will meet the real need. Not the one that you think you have. He'll meet the real need of your heart. But the issue is, come boldly before the throne of grace. That's what God wants That's what we need 
Just come boldly before the throne of grace. Do it every day. Do it every hour. Learn to come with him to him with your requests and your problems all the time. Listen, he won't get weary and fed up. He's honored by his people trusting him with their problems. Come boldly before the throne of grace. Stop trying to extract what you need from people. And come to the one that has an abundance and can meet your need. Let's all stand for prayer. I'm going to pray and then just as the Lord leads and as you you have a need in your heart, why don't you come and do business with God? Father, would you bless your children? Lord, would you work in our hearts tonight? Lord, we thank you for the rich and precious promises of Scripture. Lord, we thank you for, uh, Lord, the rich blessing of being able to come boldly before your throne of grace. Now, Lord, would you bless? Lord, would you bless the needs of these people? Lord, would you move in hearts? And Lord, would you cause burdens to be laid down tonight, Lord, as they come to you with them? And, oh, Lord, we know that you can act and you can do and that you will undertake in Jesus' precious name.